Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you would, please take out your Bibles and turn in them uh, to the very front of your Bible, to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, and Genesis chapter number 39. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you and you would like to look at one, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you could take that Bible and turn it to page number 30, and you would be at Genesis 39. Now, I'd like to begin this morning by taking a very short survey. would just appreciate you participating in this survey. So here's the first question in the morning survey. How many people here have experienced hardship in their life? Let me see hands out there. I do see a lot of hands, not all hands up, but uh, I think most of us know that that's an experience that we've all gone through. Here's another question, second question in the survey, and this is an optional one for raising your hand. You can if you want, but you don't have to. How many people here are in the midst of hardship right now? now this morning. And I saw a bunch of hands pop up even though it's optional. All right, here's the final question of the survey. How many of us here today are going to experience hardship in the future? Let me see those hands. You'll notice I have both of mine up. Yeah, because we know that's coming because that is part of life. And all of us, no matter who we are, are going to experience detours in our life and disasters and disappointments and delays. And I believe that God has incorporated the story of Joseph into the Bible to give us instruction on these things, on hardship, to tell us how we can experience encouragement in hardship, how we can have hope. So I'm very excited to be studying the life of Joseph with you. In fact, we have entitled this series, Hope Through Hardship, Lessons from the Life of Joseph. And last time we were together, I shared an equation. Now, it's not a true equation. It's a, it's a Bruce equation. It's just something to help me summarize some principles. And that equation is P plus P plus P equals P, which equals hope. Now, what that stands for is that God's promises and God's providence and God's presence, when we get our arms around those things, will give to us perspective in hardship, and perspective gives us hope. Now, I really want to encourage you to write this particular equation down because I think it really summarizes the life of Joseph. And so I'm going to keep showing it to you because this is the equation I'm taking away from our study. To remember for myself that when we get a grip on God's promises, God's providence, and God's presence, when we're experiencing hardship, that gives to us perspective, which in turn gives us hope. Now, today, we want to isolate one element out of that equation, and that would be God's providence. We want to talk about God's providence. I've titled the message today, God's Providence, part number one. And we're going to do three things today. Number one, we're going to look at God's providence clarified in Scripture. We're just going to take a short visit into the Word of God, which emphasizes His providence. 
Then secondly, we're going to look at a brief definition of providence. What does providence really mean? And then thirdly, we're going to look at some ramifications of God's providence. What this means in my life and your life, especially as it relates to hardship that we encounter. Now, the last time we were together, we were talking about what happened to Joseph. We were talking about how his brothers, who did not like him, had attacked him and had roughed him up, and they'd actually thought about killing him. You remember that? And instead, they got the idea, you know, we could make money out of this deal by getting rid of our brother, and so they sold him to the despised Ishmaelites as a slave. And this hardship to Joseph, you remember this, was a blind side. He didn't see it coming. In fact, it completely disoriented him in his life. He was thinking, a slave? The lifespan of a slave is very short. He was literally thinking to himself, he felt really like his life was effectively over. And we learned later on in Genesis As his brothers were reflecting back on the event, they talked about the distress of soul that Joseph had at this point. It deeply, deeply caused him a lot of pain and concern. And then he ends up as it would normally happen when you've been bought as a slave, shackled, and then he takes the 250-mile trip walking to Egypt. And we talked about last time how I believe part of what brought some hope and encouragement to his life was the hope of God's promises, that God is good, and that his destiny, Joseph's destiny was sure, just as our destiny is sure when we know Jesus Christ. So all of that's what we were doing last time. That brings us to chapter 39 and verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. So notice what happens to him. He doesn't know what's going to occur, but he gets on the slave block, and guess who buys him? It's a guy by the name of Potiphar who is one of the officers of Pharaoh. In fact, he is described here as the captain of the bodyguard. He was the head of the secret service, protecting the most powerful man on the face of the planet. And that individual is the one who buys him as a slave. Now, was this a fluke? Was this happenstance? Was this a mere random happening? How about us when hardship comes to us? Is that a a fluke? Is that just some sort of happenstance? Is it some sort of random happening in the world out there that just seems to engulf our life? You know, at this point, if you just freeze frame it for a second, and when he is purchased by Potiphar, how would Joseph answer that question? Was it a fluke? Was it a happenstance? Was it a mere random happening? I think at this point in time, Joseph was unsure. But we are given a sneak peek in the story of Joseph. There is a pivot verse in the whole story, and you can turn with me briefly to chapter 50. 
of Genesis, chapter 50 and verse 20. Because now we have Joseph looking back on everything that was happening to him. And notice what is said as he speaks to his brothers later on down the line, years later, in verse 20. He says, as for you, my brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And that is really the central underlying theme of the story of the life of Joseph, and that is that God is in control. God is in control, even as seemingly random events happen in our life. God is in control. His sovereign providence is always active. So as we take a look at God's providence, we begin to try to get our arms around this idea, which is going to help us get perspective, which ultimately gives us hope. We want to first see God's providence clarified in Scripture. So I'm going to put on the screen several different verses just to enable us to do this a little more quickly. The first one comes from Psalm 103, verse 19. It says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over some of the things that happen in the world. He has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over many of the things that happen in this world and in my life. No, it says the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all things. Everything that has ever happened in your life and my life, his sovereignty has ruled over it all. Second passage from Lamentations, chapter 3 and verse 37. And by the way, this is, is, this is coming out of a, a situation where people were in great hardship. Great, great hardship. Go look at the background of Lamentations. And in, in, in a verse 37 of chapter 3, it says this, Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord commanded it? And then you have the New Living Translation. That was from the New American Standard. Uh, the New Living Translation of the same verse says this, can anything happen without the Lord's permission? And the answer to the question is no, because of his sovereign providence. And then third passage from the book of Job, chapter number 23 and verse 14. Again, Job is what? Right in the middle of hardship. He's had an avalanche down on top of him. And here's what he says of God. He will do for me all he has planned. He controls my destiny. See, God's providence just means he owns all and he rules over all. Now, there's a, a very common notion in the Christian community that goes something like this. If something good happens in my life, that's from God. If something bad happens in my life, that's from Satan. And there, there is some truth to that idea. It is interesting to see that when you go into Scripture, Satan is described with five different animals. It's really fascinating. In Genesis 3, he is described as a serpent who is out to deceive 
Adam and Eve. In Matthew 13, he is described as a bird who is out to corrupt God's harvest. In John chapter 10, he is pictured as a wolf who is out to attack God's flock. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he is described as a lion who is seeking to devour God's children. And in Revelation chapter 12, he is described as a dragon who seeks to kill God's son. Satan is out to disrupt, to discourage, and to devour. It was interesting, I I read this week about a British newspaper, The Sun, that had this particular headline. It said, Vicar Savaged by Dog. Now, a vicar, you know, in, in English culture is a little bit more like our reverend, but vicar savaged by a dog called Satan. And this is what it says. It says, a vicar is recovering from being savaged by an Alsatian, that's like a German shepherd, called Satan. Alan Elwood, 45, was bitten all over his body and his trousers and shirt were ripped to shreds in the farmyard attack in Westport, Somerset. Mr. Elwood told the son, it was terrifying. I was lucky to get out of it. Have the events in your life ever felt like you were being savaged by Satan? The enemy is out to disrupt our spiritual life. He is out to discourage. He is out to devour us. And the Apostle Paul understood this. As Robin Morgan points out, Robert Morgan points out, he said, when Paul encountered someone who was seeking to hinder his ministry, he saw the hand of Satan. For Paul, when he saw believers fall into sin or fall into false doctrine, he saw Satan at work. For Paul, when his own personal body was afflicted by some sort of disease or bodily malfunction, he saw that as being sent by Satan. So Satan is out to disrupt and discourage and devour, and yet we learn from the word of God that God is still sovereign and providence is fully intact despite what Satan may be seeking to accomplish. Do you remember what happens in the book of Job in chapter number one? When Satan wants to get into Job's life and disrupt and discourage and devour, what does he have to do with God? He has to seek permission from God. Because God is sovereign, and his sovereign providence is always in effect. So what does that really mean? It means, well, he's not the direct author of sin or disaster that might affect our life, but he is still sovereign over it. He is the one who permits it, restrains it, limits it, and overrules it. It means his providence that he is in control over the devastating losses that I may experience in my life, that he is in control over the grievous setbacks that we may experience, that he is in control 
over the broken hopes that we may face, that he is in control over the difficulties and disasters. And I want you just to take a moment, let's just pause for a second and reflect on your own life. Some of the significant hardships, some of the significant difficulties, some of the significant disasters that have come into your life. All along, God was sovereign over those things. Over the devastating loss, over the grievous setback, over the broken hope, over whatever the difficulty or disaster may have been. In his providence, he only permits what will serve his purposes. And he's always working it out intricately according to his specifications. That's God's providence. Many of us are familiar with the story of, of Johnny Erickson Tata. You might remember that gal, and, and when she was a teen, she was diving into a pool and ended up being paralyzed from her neck down. And Johnny has now spent four decades, 40-plus years, as a paraplegic. And this is part of the way she writes. She describes her way of processing her way through all of that. She writes, initially, when this happened, she said, I figured that if Satan and God were involved in my accident at all, then it must be the devil that had twisted God's arm for permission. And she says, I reasoned at that point that once God granted permission to Satan, then he must nervously have had to run behind Satan with a repair kit, patching up what Satan had ruined, mumbling to himself, oh great, now how am I going to work this for good? But she now writes this, she says, but the truth is that God is infinitely more powerful than Satan. And while the devil's motive in my disability was to shipwreck my faith by throwing a wheelchair in my way, I'm convinced that God's motive was to thwart the devil and use the wheelchair to change me and make me more like Christ through it all. God's providence in the midst of hardship. So the first thing we're doing today is we look at God's providence and try to get our arms around it as we wanted to clarify it in Scripture. The second thing we want to do is to just look at a brief definition of providence. And here's the definition of providence that I want to share today. Providence is God's careful execution of his plan in my life, your life, and the entire universe. That is the providence of God. God's careful execution of his plan in my life, in your life, and the entire universe. Really what God's providence means is that God is bigger than anything. God is bigger than anybody, and he's bigger than anything and anybody, anytime, anywhere. Everything that happens 
is part of God's careful execution of his plan in my life, in your life, and in the entire universe. It means that nothing happens apart from God's plan. God never finds himself in a situation where he starts to panic and he goes, you know what, I didn't see that coming. He is sovereign in his providence. Now, having taken a few minutes to clarify that in Scripture and then have a little working definition for ourselves, I want to take the next few minutes to look at some ramifications of God's providence in our life, especially as it relates to hardship. The first ramification is this. God often works differently than we expect. And you might underline that word, differently. I mean, think about what happened again to Joseph at this point. He he, he had gotten this dream from God that he was going to be a leader among his family. And no doubt he had a picture of how that was going to work itself out in life. But then his brothers just acted out of incredible deep jealousy and hatred and a murderous heart. And they threatened to kill him. They ultimately sell him into slavery, which was really basically mathematically a death sentence for his life. And no doubt, you know, you had Joseph thinking, God, why did you allow this? And the answer Ultimately, God had a bigger plan. He was going to work a little differently than Joseph expected. You know, we have a verse from the Old Testament, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, that reminds us that really we're on different dimensions with the Lord. You know, where where it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, God, nor are my ways your ways. Actually, it's the Lord speaking here. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, I'm not quite sure how high that is, but it's way up there. So are my ways higher than your ways. What's the Lord saying? Even in how hardship comes in our life, I'm on a different dimension than you are, Bruce. My thoughts are way differently than your thoughts, and my ways are way differently than your ways. Isn't it interesting, at least this is true in my own life, that what what I struggle with the most when hardship comes my way is the question of why. And don't we do that? This comes in our life. It's distasteful. It's painful. I don't like it. I want it to be over And so I say, why, God? Why are you doing this? Why is this happening? Why, 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 why? And we get so focused on shooting the why around the room. And what we forget about is that he is way bigger than we are. And his thoughts aren't our thoughts, and his ways aren't our ways. His plan is so much bigger than what I and you can see. Steve Saint was five years old. He was a kindergartner. When his dad and four other guys flew deep into the rainforest of the Amazon, a five-year-old, 
And his dad and these others went there to meet with the Wadani tribe. They were seeking to reach them for Christ and the gospel message. They were called the Akas. Akka means a savage killer. And so they were wading in to this interaction with these savage killers from the Wadani tribe. And if you know the story, you know that Steve Saint, a little five-year-old, his dad and the other four never returned. They were executed on a beach by the Wadani tribe members. I don't know what that must have felt like. You know, my grandfather who was gassed in World War I in Europe, made it back to the States, but died from complications. That died when my dad was four. He was alive today. I would have liked to have asked him, what did that feel like? And, you know, we can't even imagine. I mean, a five-year-old loses his dad, and you, you say, where's the hope in all of that? Why would God allow such a thing to happen? Well, part of the answer is the providence of God. In his book, The End of the Spear, this is part of what Steve Saint writes. He says, I have come to the conclusion that when this happened to my dad, that God did not look away. He did not simply allow this to happen. I think God planned it. Though this has not been an easy conclusion to come to, I believe it is the right one. I have personally paid a high price for what happened on Palm Beach. But I have also had a front row seat as to the rest of the story as it has been unfolding for now half of a century. I've seen firsthand that much good has come from it. And I believe only God could have fashioned such an incredible story from such a tragic event. I could not, listen to these words, I could not begin to record the thousands of people who have told me that God used what happened on Palm Beach to change the course of their lives for good. Besides, it is enough for me that because Minkaye killed my father, that was the man who actually executed his dad on that beach, who eventually came to trust in Christ as Savior along with his family. He says, it is enough for me that because Minkaye killed my father, my family now, and they lived with, with them for a number of years, my family now has the privilege of loving him and being loved by him. And then he goes on to list a number of names of many others in the Wadani tribe that I can't really pronounce. It mentions all these individuals, and it says, and their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren and others now all have a chance to live because of the message of the cross and the resurrection that has come to them. And then he, then he writes these words, and I want you to lean into these. If I could go back now and rewrite the script, I would not change a single scene. 
I have come to understand that life is too complex and much too short to let amateurs direct the story. I would rather let the master storyteller do the writing. And we think about what we've seen so far in the life of Joseph. And years later, we're going to see, guess what? He felt exactly the same way. If you talk to him later, he would have said, I wouldn't change a single thing that happened. I would rather let the master storyteller do the writing. See, there is a why. It's just that we we don't really know when we're going to know the why. Sometimes, sometimes, as we see in the life of Steve Saint, he he got later in life to see the why. And and the same thing is true of Joseph. He got to, to see the why. Sometimes we may not know the why later in life. It'll maybe be after life that we know the why, but there is a why. You see, he is sovereign and he has a plan. And when we are enveloped in hardship, that can breed hope in our life. There's a second ramification we can learn from God's providence, and that is this, and I think this is important. God means you to be where you are. I mean, where you are in the hardship that may be be there now may be due to an attack by the enemy. It may be because of the evil intent of another person. It may even be a sinful consequence that comes from a poor choice. But God means you to be where you are. And we just need to pause for a second and ponder that. Think about that. God means me to be where I am. And God means you to be where you are. And just to yourself, you might just repeat that to yourself right now. God means me to be where I am. I love, I absolutely love what Robert Morgan wrote in his book, Red Sea Rules. He writes this. So take a deep breath and recall this deeper secret of the Christian life. When you are in a difficult place, realize that the Lord has either placed you there or allowed you to be there for reasons perhaps known for now only to himself. And then there's another ramification we want to look at it as we think about the providence of God as it relates to us in hardship, and that is this. Ultimately, he's preparing us to indwell the kingdom of God. That's what he's at work in our lives to do to prepare us to indwell the kingdom of God. In the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, there's a, there's a vision of what the future is going to be, and it, it talks about how there is a great multitude there that no one could count, people from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne. This is a picture of heaven and in front of the Lamb, and they're wearing white robes. And they cry out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
See, when he allows hardship into our life, ultimately part of what he's doing is he is preparing us to indwell the kingdom of God. You know, there's a popular verse in Jeremiah 29, 11, that a lot of us like to quote when difficulty comes our way and there's this uncertainty and hardship in our life and we quote it a lot, but we need to remember that this verse comes out of the mouth of God basically to those who are in captivity. They're in incredible hardship and they're there largely due to their own rebellion. And it's in that situation where God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Well, they didn't really feel that way right at that moment. Plans to give you a future and a hope. God in his providence says, I have plans, I have plans, I have plans. It's a bigger plan than you understand, but I have plans. And they're plans ultimately to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. You see, whatever he allows, hardship-wise into our life, what it's really saying is this, his aim is the best for our future. Ultimately, he's preparing us to indwell the kingdom of God. Now, now, what is our natural response when, when hardship just falls down on us? What's our, our, our natural response? We start saying things like this. How, can I, how did I ever get into this mess? How quickly can I get out of this mess? And why did this happen to me? And I believe the life of Joseph suggests to us that there's an alternative response. Rather than, how did I get in this mess? How quickly I can get out of this situation? Why did it happen to me? The alternative response is this. How can God be glorified and honored in this situation? You know, that's exactly what Jesus did. You remember, he's 100% man. And in John 12, it's interesting what happens there. He is anticipating the hardship of the cross. And he says there, and this is just so real because of the hardship. He says, my soul is troubled. He was in distress. He was feeling the effects of the hardship. And he says to God, save me from this hour. He's speaking what we would normally expect someone to say. This is hard. This hurts. I don't like it. I'd rather avoid it. But he goes on to say this. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name in my life. See, what Jesus was saying is that given all of this hardship, that is part of the will of God for me to experience. The response I want to have is how can God the Father be glorified and honored in the situation that I have before me? And that, men and women, is exactly the response that Joseph has. As you track it all the way through, 
That's part of his response is how can God be glorified and honored when I'm in this slave situation, when I'm in this prison situation that we're going to see a little bit later. In my office, I, I, I have a, a desk that is there. And then behind the desk, I had this credenza. And um, so what I often do, I'm spinning between the desk and the credenza back and forth. Above the credenza, I have these shelves. And on these shelves, I have taped on three by five cards and other slips of paper significant sayings that have been an encouragement to me in my life at different times. And one of them I have, on, you can go in afterwards if you want and look, it's right there, it's taped right up towards the left, is this saying that's on my credenza. God deliberately keeps some things secret so that you and I will stay humble and learn to trust him even when we do not understand what he is doing. It's basically saying God is providentially in control of all things. And he keeps some things secret. I think part of that's that idea of the gap. His ways are so, I mean, there's just a huge dimensional gap. I'm not even sure I could understand the whole plan if he gave it to me. But he keeps some things secret for now so that you and I will stay humble and learn to trust him even when we do not understand what he is doing. And that little saying has brought encouragement to me multiple times in my life. See, Joseph is here for a reason. And God placed the story of Joseph in the pages of Scripture so that we could learn from him, so that we could be instructed so that we could find encouragement. And ultimately, he is preparing us to indwell the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to ask the worship team to come and prepare us because we want to sing a closing song today. But as they're coming, I want to share with you a quote from Margaret Clarkson. Oh, this is such powerful summary of what we've been looking at today. Here's what Margaret writes. She says, the sovereignty of God is the one impregnable rock to which the suffering human heart must cling. The circumstances surrounding our lives are no accident. They may be the work of evil, but that evil is held firmly within the mighty hand of our sovereign God. All evil is subject to him, and evil cannot touch his children unless he permits it. God is the Lord of human history and of the personal history of every member of his redeemed family. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to thank you for the story of Joseph. We thank you about this truth that when we can get our arms around your providence, it can help us to have perspective in hardship which ultimately gives us hope. And Father, I do not want to be insensitive or trite in any way. No doubt someone listening to my voice 
is in the midst of hardship, and to be in the midst of hardship is extremely hard. The distress that we feel is so real. And I would pray if anyone is there right now that you would comfort them, that you would give them hope because of your providence. And I would pray, Father, that you would help them to trust you even though they don't understand what you are doing. We do know that you are preparing us to dwell in heaven. And that means you've got some work to do in my life and in all of our lives. We thank you for your providence and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.